Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and thanks so much for being here. Now, this show is a, it's a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and hopefully will leave you truly inspired as well. My goal here is simply to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or have achieved something remarkable in their lives and through their story, get inspired myself and hopefully inspire you too. Thanks for all the great feedback about uh, the episode last week with Ben Richardson, the CEO of Nickelodeon Australia and New Zealand. Um, it's a great listen if you've ever considered a career in media or moving your young family to India or trying to survive a terrorist attack. We cover it all. It was a really good episode. Uh, thanks to everybody that tweeted out about the show. That is the greatest thing you can do for me is if you like the show, you send out a tweet to uh, the link of the show that you're listening to. Um, I'll, put a, I'll put a link on the Tumblr page. Um, that's just really, if it's for you, that is the greatest thing you can do for me is just to tweet out that you're listening with a link to the show. Just pop a link in there. Back to the show page and that'll be the greatest thing. Speaking of Twitter, I'm sorry again that I blocked 18,000 of you. I really, really am um, trying to find a way to unblock everybody. Um, the quickest way is to go on my Instagram and find the post that I wrote about this. I wrote, I'm sorry, I blocked you on Twitter. Um, and just put your Twitter username in there if you find yourself blocked and, and I'll unblock you, but then you have to refollow. Uh, that's the solution I've got right now. Sorry, but I know I pushed the wrong button on a third-party spam filter. It's my fault. I apologize. Um, don't, please don't take it personally. Thank you so much uh, to everybody that tweeted though during the week and thanks to everybody that, that helped me unblock them. There's a few more hundred people uh, in my Twitter world now, so thank you. Had a great week here in Los Angeles. Did a, um, did a gig for Qantas the other night, which was fun seeing, um, seeing everyone. Um, by everyone, I mean like like this. Uh, if I'm a J-list celebrity, there was people who were like DCB and A-list celebrities and um, it was kind of good to sit in the corner and kind of look at them. Because <laughs> there's some really 
hardworking and famous Australians here. And I just kind of, I got to MC the gig, but I got to kind of stand in the corner and look at people. But um, uh, the best thing about it was I got to invite some friends uh, to come and watch Kylie Minogue up close and personal. And that was just really, really lovely to get some super, super huge Kylie fans front and center and, um, and let them watch um, Kylie sing a couple of songs, um, who is looking amazing. Um, yeah, she's been my crush since I was 13, and she's still my crush. So there you go, Kylie. Yeah, she'll never listen to this. <laughs> Let me tell you about my guest this week. Her name is Zoe Bell. She is, without a doubt, the greatest stunt woman in the world right about now. You can follow her on Twitter, at TheRealZoeBell. She's the one who did all the ass kicking in Kill Bill 1, Kill Bill 2, Inglorious Bastards. Um, she was in God, Death Proof, Planet Terror, The Grindhouse. Um, she worked on Final Destination. She worked on Bitch Slap. Um, uh, she worked on Iron Man 3 most recently. Uh, she's, she's that girl. She was Uma Thurman's stunt double in the Kill Bill films. And uh, she played herself in Death Proof. And she's absolutely amazing. She's completely kick-ass. But she's also totally totally charming she's got a boyfriend who i've met he's a lovely man uh she's the kind of woman that really you listen to this and you just wish she was your best mate you'll get that when you listen to her you listen to her and go i want this girl to come over and have a barbecue at my house and it's kind of disarming how charming she is because you then remember that she just kicks ass and takes names for a living uh just doing things that would make you and i shit our pants um and a little note on that it's a very sweary one yeah we swear a lot in this one, so probably listen to this on headphones because we throw it out there quite a bit today. Uh, she's just put out a new movie called Ray's, R-A-Z-E. It's, uh, you know, just your standard film about a secret society that kidnaps women and makes them fight to the death to save their loved ones. Yeah, it's bloody, it's brutal, it's awesome. It's women fighting each other to the death. Um, it's released in America right now. And uh, she wasn't able to tell me when it was out in Australia, but please find a legal way to watch it. I'll ask you, please find a legal way to watch it. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at the real Zoe Bell. As you listen along, follow her now. And as you listen along, if you like what she's talking about, just tweet her, let her know, show us some love that you heard her here on this show. Hashtag OGP is the uh, podcast hashtag. Um, if you don't want to watch her new movie, Raise, if that you know kind of women beating each other bloody to a pulp isn't really your thing, even if you want to just watch it for the appreciation of the craft of, of, of how she managed to put the film together because she produced it and she talks a lot about how much, you know, fandanglery it took to get the film made, which is, uh, it was great to shed light on, on, on what it means to produce a film in Hollywood as, as well as act in a film in Hollywood and, and cry on cue. So she had to do a lot in this. Um, if you're not into watching the film, that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm really glad you could listen to this because you're just going to fall in love with it, man. Just listen. Just listen to what happened when one of the stone-cold toughest women on the planet came over to my house for a nice cup of tea and a lemon poppy seed cookie. My guest today is actress, producer and stuntwoman Zoe Bell. As she launches her new movie, Rays, we talk about the perils of filmmaking on a budget, meeting Quentin Tarantino for the first time, the cyclical nature of action roles for women, the difference between rational and irrational fear, and what goes through your mind when you're about to jump 22 stories off of a perfectly good building.
waiting for it to get to the point where I can drink it because it's too hot otherwise. But is that not the point, Zoe Bell? Quite possibly. My mum always said there's no problem that cannot be made better by by a cup of tea. Oh, (laughs) a cube of ice in my cup of tea. I can see how she would say that. Because you're forced to stop what you're doing, boil, prepare, brew, steep, wait for it to cool. And by that, it's a good 12 or 15 minutes. Yeah. And you you kind of screw it up like I do and you burn your tongue and then everything about life is that much worse. I'm kidding. That's far more cynical than I actually am. No, no, no. I, no it's good. Let me turn your level up a bit. All right, come on. It's not often someone has to say that to me. You're not quite loud enough. <laughs> really? Really? All right, one more bite. And then I'm gonna go. Do I have to stop in my No, you can do whatever you want. We're drinking like... cups of tea and we're eating cookies. Yeah, and as long as the audience knows that, then they can make do with a, the occasional... Sound of mastication. Mm, such a bad word. Which is such a great word. Well, it's such a great word. It's so close to being... It's strange that those are the two words that are so close to being mm-hmm. such different things, where it's you'd like hope fe- different. It's like fecundity. That's also my favourite word. Yeah, what does that mean again? Um, when a woman is pregnant and glowing, she is resplendent in her fecundity. Yeah. Because it sounds like how she got there. Totally does. <laughs> And it almost sounds like a slightly unromantic version of how she got there. Precisely. Yeah. It like, doesn't sound like making love, does it? <laughs> <laughs> sounds right. like a one-night stand of fecundity. One final slip. One final <laughs> oh, That's actually really good tea. That so, is delicious. I'd like to know where you got that. Uh, get my chart. I got it from Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime? You can't get loose leaf tea at Whole Foods. What's Amazon Prime? I love the way we're talking to our mics already. It's Amazon Prime is like, it's a subscription thing. You pay a little extra to get um, on Amazon and like they deliver shit like the next day. Like, I don't go to stores anymore except to buy kale. Everything else comes to me. A nice man brings it to my front door. And it's a nice man, not, not like a nasty one. No, a nice person comes and drops it off. There you go. Have it. Done. Thank you. It's pretty amazing. Is it groceries and stuff? Yeah. Fresh food, everything. What? Yeah. We're Prices gonna, are halfway decent? We live in a whole new world, though. It's a whole new world. A dazzling place <laughs> of freedom. <laughs> record. Let's get this show on the right. What's the deal with swearing and shit? Is that allowed? You can swear as much as you like. Okay. As much as you, care, as much as you choose to. It's good to okay. know. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Hi, Zoe Bell. Hi. How are you doing, Asha? I'm really good. Welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Me too. Finally. We're, we're here in Venice got- Beach in California. Just sounds cool saying that, doesn't it? Well, it does because yeah. I've I've done this show in a few different places, but it's nice to be home. Yeah, it's nice to have people. I like I like doing this in my living room. I like doing this with with, with people, and um, I'm very very excited for you. Uh, very excited you're here because I've been a massive fan of you for quite some time. At first, without knowing it, and then <laughs> and then knowing An unconscious it, unconscious fan. I was like, Who's, <laughs> "Wow, that's amazing!" And then. And then I got to meet you, and then I, I put it to you that you come on the show, and you're like, yeah, sure, let's fucking do it. Yeah. And it really, really threw, blew my mind. And you, you have a new film out called Raise with a Z. It's a great word. I love to play it in Scrabble. Yep. And Me too. It comes up with words with friends all the time now. And every time I nail someone with Raise with my own movie, I'm like, yes. That's right. So satisfying. Uh, and that film comes out, it came out in the US on the weekend. Uh, yes, it came out um, uh, 10th. So, yeah, this weekend. Um, and it's on VOD and iTunes. Uh, you know, it's weird, the whole what you can buy on iTunes in New Zealand and Australia, you know, from American iTunes, and you can't get it over there. And 
I'm not sure exactly when New Zealand and Australia will be able to see this film legally um, because they're bought by different companies. Ah. Different territories are bought by different... I think I just said territories. That's fine. Different territories. We figured it out. We know what you meant. Yeah. But nevertheless, you've got a new film that's out and I'm very excited. And so the first question I want to ask you is that all, all art, this art, mm. um, the art of that bicycle, the art of this table, whatever, comes from the desire to fill a void. It's like there's something that the artist can't see and so I've got to create this to fill this, to scratch this itch. So what was, what was the void that led you to, I have to be a part of this film? Um... The scratch that needed, that required some form of itching, as you will, um, for me it was sort of a, the concept of it, which started off as there are women being held against their will and forced to fight to the death by a twisted society called Ray's. Um, it was a short film at first. That sounded interesting, but it was the people that were involved in the, in the kind of feeling of creativity around the table when they were like, and we thought this, and what about that? And we started jamming ideas and spitballing and... That really appealed to me. And then the suggestion of me coming on as a producer is when my juices really flew because I was just like, what? That would be amazing. Because now I've got an opinion and people want to hear it and I can agree and disagree and create with people and collaborate. And that was that was definitely sort of the appeal. That's one of the things I've had the most pleasure out of. Well, not even just pleasure. Like, sat, like some of the shoot was pretty unpleasurable, but satisfaction was that collaboration of creating and telling a story and telling for me it was telling this woman Sabrina's story you know it's cool for people that don't quite know what it means to be I mean everyone knows kind of what a director does mm. like we've seen enough depictions of what a director does on on on, on television and film of like this is, what, this is what the director does <laughs> and um but what, what what's for, can you explain to people like the producer role no I can't really <laughs> <laughs> producer is one of those sort of non I mean, you know, basically the reason the term producer came around is because it is your job to get this film produced. It's to produce something, to have something to produce to audiences. Um, you know, and you have executive producers and associate producers and co-producers and some of them are just in title. Some of them are um, if you've put money towards it. So if you've funded a, a large enough chunk, you get producer credit. Um, line producers are sort of in charge of the lo the logistics of it, so they're the ones that make sure if you need everything's on set that you need for that shoot, crew, equipment, locations, mm -hmm. the whole lot. Um, but your role was my role, and I don't know if it exists as a producer role normally, but my role was more sort of um, creative producer, and we were a little bit like this project sort of came around, certainly not accidentally, but a little haphazardly, sort of. Um, we decided to make this movie before we had anything in place, including a feature script. So it was all a bit like we were running downhill. Our feet just had to go faster and faster and faster to keep up with our heads sort of thing, um, which I think is probably the only reason it ended up getting made. I think a movie like this, if we had have gone by the book, it may not have... If we'd been asking permission in the normal way, we may never have received it. So we, without thinking about it, we were just doing it, you know, so... So I'm guessing, like... A producer's role is turning no's into yeses, putting and just creating a, a, a possibility where there previously wasn't like, like, like we need 48 stunt women. Go. No. Yes. Pick up the phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, you know, things like we need the set built, but we want it to look real. How do we get someone on board 
that wants to do this project that's going to give us the hard work that this movie deserves without being able to pay them what maybe they deserve and mm. you know juggling those sorts of things getting low it's a lot of um requesting of favors at this level and hoping that you make a quality enough project that then when you get a little bit more powerful you can start giving back to that sort of pool of help that you got um and it's also for us, a huge part of what mine was was developing the story and the tone and the, uh, you know, like, we think this should happen and then one of us would be like, but that doesn't make any sense because what about this and we need that and and even things like, we should make the fight in this thing and then us sitting down and nutting out just how much it would cost us to do that <laughs> and realising that maybe, in fact, we should just do it in a small arena instead. <laughs> you know, like, maybe they should fight at the bottom of a big abandoned well. Maybe that would be cheaper. Um yeah, and for me it was also like the on-set stuff, problem solving. So if we ran out of time, what do you do? You have to change a script or you have to sh- you know, shift schedules. Because it's not quite like in – I know it has happened in Australia, but I'm sure it's – you know, I, I'm, I've worked on sets in Australia where it's nothing like the timing here in, in the States. Yeah. Like when the clock goes off, what, what is it, for a 10-hour turnaround or whatever it is, that's yeah. it. People just put stuff down and walk away. Yeah. That's it. It's over. That Don't was care a, what you had no. to shoot, buddy. Yeah, and that was it on Xena. I'd never shot – ours was 12-hour days, but I'd never shot over a 12-hour day. I mean, maybe once or twice. I didn't get paid for the overtime, so I didn't – you know, but, like, it was the 12 hours and you're done. Here it's sort of – yeah, I don't know. It's it, it, Problem solving was a huge part of it, and even if that means when you're asking a lot of crews and – heads of department might be getting frustrated or there might be like disagreements forming and poli- political arguments starting to brew and it was my job to kind of try and dissipate that and keep people happy and and then and meanwhile action now I gotta go kill a bitch you know like <laughs> 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 and then go out and cry on cue and seriously then, yeah you know then you gotta go out and 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 do that stuff yeah. which I did kind of wonder as well like you, you obviously you've acted before uh, in, in, in Death Proof, which we'll get to, because um, that film scared the shit out of me. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that. But were you able to approach the acting part of it using any of the same pathways in that you use with your stunt work? Were you able to transfer any of the kind of formulaic way that you put a stunt together to bringing emotion in as well as, as perhaps like just bringing action in? Um, I, I've been figuring that one out as I've gone along because to be honest, when I first sort of made the transition or started making the transition from stunts to acting, I actually came across a couple of roadblocks from, you know, instincts that have been created and perfected as a stunt person that then were just getting in my way as an actor, such as being a stunt person on set is like my role as far as the crew and everyone is concerned is you, is to be not vulnerable in any way. Like you would never see me flirtatious. You would never see me particularly feminine or sexual, you would never see me hurt or crying, you would never see me lose my temper. Any sense of, like, not being in control, you just didn't... I didn't allow that. And I perceived it to be part of my job description. So then when you turn around and your job is actually to be emotionally vulnerable in front of a crew full of people and have the camera actually see it and be involved in it was terrifying for me. I was sort of like... And so, and what I would find would happen is because I've often been cast in action roles, is I would kind of get the hang of this acting thing right up until the action started, and then I'd switch back into stunt girl. I would like suddenly because it was so hard for me not be Zoe, because that was always how I did it. That it was sort of I had to be consciously 
it, like it kind of required me to find my character deeper in the action than the other way around. And it started to make now when I do something like raise, I figured out how to use one to feed the other. But it was a very conscious. I had to shift my mindset very consciously. I've only I'm a terrible actor. I've only done it a few times. I know I can tell you don't like me at all. You're trying, but it's horrible acting. No, I'm talking about my experience. And no, I know. I was making a bad joke about oh, the fact that you're acting like you like me and, I'm, and you're not pulling it off. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> bad joke. No, I'm, really ter- I'm a really terrible actor. And one of the things that, because I, I, I host television, I host radio, it's my job to absolutely emotionally connect directly down the barrel. And, yeah. I, and I see that big glass kind of whale eye of the lens and I just have an intimate relationship with it. And then when you're on a drama or, or a sitcom or whatever the hell I was doing... Like, can you stop looking at the camera, please? Exactly. Yeah. I'm eyeballing the damn thing. Yeah. The opposite would be true for you. You've spent Absolutely. your entire career going, eyes don't get see the lens, ever, ever, ever. Absolutely. I'm Uma Thurman, stop looking. Yeah, no, totally. Like, my, my, the, one of the other skill sets that comes to beat these, my poppy seed... Um, <laughs> we're, e- we're eating, by the way. So I'll just tell you what we're yeah, eating. Yeah, read what we're, we're eating. We're eating uh, Lenny and Larry's all-natural complete cookie, uh, lemon poppa seed, a vegan. Vegan pro- and non-dairy, and here's what's really interesting. Protein. I think it tastes good. Mm-hmm. It's quite shocking to me. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so the other thing that has become instinct through being a stunt girl is having a conscious awareness of where the camera is at all times purely and simply to avoid it seeing your face. <laughs> like, the only reason I know where that camera is is so that it doesn't see me. So I hide behind my, I would hide behind my wig or my hair or my costume or my hands or I would turn at the right times. And, of course, as an actor, it's sort of, it needs to be the total opposite. I think I figured that one out pretty quickly based on, there was a documentary called Double Dare that was, there were two subjects. I was one of them and another one, Jeannie Epper was another one of them. And I think that was very helpful for, just getting relaxed about a camera being up in my face. You know, like, uh, it got to the point where I was sitting there getting my legs waxed and there's a camera crew and I was just like, I cannot be self-conscious around this anymore because this is just so ridiculous. So there was that. And then when I was doing Death Proof, which we'll get to later, um, <laughs> we did the first shot pass of um, that chase sequence. You know, with the camera car and the follow car and me on the bonnet and two, you know, Kurt's car and our car and all these moving pieces and Quentin called me over at the end of the first take and was like, hey Zoe, come and, come and have a look. And I was like, yeah, 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 show me, show me, show me. And I got in there and I watched it and I was like, oh, 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 like just reacting to everything the way you wished you would to all sequences. And at the end I was like, oh my God, that was fucking cool. Like that was so amazing. And he just looked at me and he was like, what did we not see in that sequence? And I was like, what are you talking? We saw everything. We saw the tire and the car because the whole point was to tie it all in so you could tell that we were doing it free. We weren't on a trailer or we weren't, you know. And, of course, as the stunt girl, I was considering all of the mechanics of the shot. So we saw everything. It was amazing. My leg nearly went under the car and the tyre and the dude and the blah, blah, blah. And he was like, watch it again. This is like a three-and-a-half-minute take, and we don't see your face once. And I was like, what? Play it back. And we played it back, and I was like, oh, that's almost almost impressive you know if it wasn't a complete waste of film it would have been (laughs) but that was one of those like and he made it very clear he was like you know the skill you have of knowing where the camera is at all times clearly you know where the camera is at all times because you've managed to avoid it whilst flying around and flipping and he's like i need you to do the opposite wow 
I was like, oh, yes, Mr. Tarantino. <laughs> so when I was getting ready for this, I actually found footage of you meeting him for the first time. Yeah. I know, we both look like such little out-of-breath knobs. I am sorry, Belle. I am Queen Tarantino. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. Did you have any clue what it was when you met him? Did you feel like the, the, the lightning <clears throat> strike across the sky? Or did, you, did you hear the roll <laughs> of the timpani? Did stand still? <laughs> like, did you feel like my career's changing at this moment? Or was it just like... No, I, I met him at the audition. and I, That's the bit I saw when you yeah. walk across the acromat and you yeah. shake his hand. <laughs> totally, the acromat. It's totally an acromat. Um, no, I mean, I, my sole intention for that afternoon was just to get through the audition and go home and have people buy me beers because I auditioned for Tarantino. Like, it never crossed my mind that there was any world in which I, w I would get the job. And not even in a, like oh, I'm not good enough, self-defacing, I'm a poor little Kiwi that doesn't trust her own... Nothing like that. It just was not... I couldn't fathom that being a reality. It was just like the fact that I was even in the room and there was like Daryl Hannah, hello, Splash, you know. Like reality bites. Ethan Hawke was like right there on a treadmill. I was just like, this is all crazy. And I expected to go home and those be the stories. You know, that Splash was on a treadmill and so was reality bites. And I met Quentin. It was so weird. And then a week later, they rang me and were like, so you got the job? And I was like, what? Wait, what? Really? What? Because I watched it and um, <laughs> it's probably, I mean, you'd probably concede this. You, you may not have stuck those landings. No, I fucked it up. <laughs> Royally. I, I can tell you why, too. Because that morning, Jeannie, who's the other woman from Double Dare, had um, introduced me to this guy called Bob Yerkes, who in true American style has a big backyard that has like three trampolines, a high fall tower, two trapeze towers, airbags. I mean, I walked in, literally at that point, angels were singing. I was just like, what? This place is the yard of my dreams. It's like my little brother. He's got a full-size cricket pitch with nets in his backyard. It's the you greatest. know what I mean? You wake up and you think you're still asleep because you're like, come on, pinch me, come on. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you spent the morning playing. I sp uh, yes. And I mean like, I mean, I could have been, I would have looked like I was in fast mode if you had recorded it. And I'd drunk beers the night before because I think for the same reason, I just think it didn't occur to me that this was a sincere opportunity. I think if, if the auditions had happened in New Zealand, I would have gone to bed at eight. I would have been training for like two weeks up until then. I probably would have stopped, well, probably not stopped drinking exactly, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I would have been on form for it. And I think I was just so deluded about it being not real that by the time I, I went straight from Bob Yerkes's yard directly to the audition, I mean, I was wearing Dickies shorts. It's not even like I had workout gear on, you know what I mean? And uh, Just a walking vat of lactic acid. Just, yeah. <laughs> I was just stinking like a brewery. No, I'm kidding. I wasn't that bad, but it was definitely... But you taxed yourself. I totally exhausted myself. And so yeah. every time I went to do it, my legs were just like, screw you, bitch. Like after two hours of this morning, no. No, that's unfair of you to expect that of us. We're not doing it. We won't stand for it, excuse the pun. And uh, But I think, to be honest, I think that's hearing Quentin talk and from the things he said to me, he said that's part of what it was. Not the fact that I screwed it up, but the fact that every time I screwed it up, I got up and I was like, oh, give me one more shot. And kind of laughing and then doing it again. And I mean, nailing myself pretty hard and, then, and laughing and getting up again. And I, I'm sure some twisted part of him was like, that's what I need. An unbreakable lady. <laughs> so, 
So I have heard you talk about him, and you're, you're totally cool to say, I don't want to talk about that bit, I'm fine. But how would you describe your relationship with him? Because it sounds to me like it's fairly collaborative. Oh, with Quentin? Mm. Oh, you made me nervous when you're like, you don't have to talk about him. I was like, oh, my God, who are you going to bring up? Mm. Larry Flint. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, how was that? When we're done, I'll tell you an interesting story about Larry Flint's building on the corner of La Cienega. Oh, I know the building. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. Guess what I'm it looks sure it's like. interesting. Guess what it looks like from above? Cock and balls. Vagina. Got to be vagina. Why Guess where the helipad is? Clit. Is not... Panda God. Genius. Have you seen it from a helicopter? Google Earth, babe. Oh my God, that's a great idea. I kind of want to do it right now. I'll do it. After, remind me afterwards. It's like in the middle of like the financial district of Los Angeles, California, Larry Flint Productions. It's like. That's it's, amazing. It's, it's at a 45 degree angle to the corner. It's not even parallel to Wilshire Boulevard. So, Wilshire Boulevard and La Cienega Boulevard are the legs. Shut your face. Right in the middle. It's this gigantic vagina. That's amazing. With a helipad. Oh, God bless him. It's good for some things, wasn't he? He's there. Every, every, you can see him have lunch every day at um, the Four Seasons um, on Dahini. He's there every day. Is he? His, yeah, with his hustler number plate and his gold-plated wheelchair. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I don't know. You get a, con- you get like a personality like that, you may as well stay committed to it, eh? Yeah, but also when you think about what went through, what he went through, yeah, he got, yeah, it's not like all... the guy can't walk. I mean, it's, it's pretty heavy watching him. Like I used to work, and I'd, I'd see him quite a lot, quite a lot there. And it's like you think about quality of life. You know, we take, yeah. I take it, I, I'm grateful every morning. I swing my legs over the bed and put two yeah, feet yeah, down yeah, and yeah. stand up. You know, totally. I had, my friend the other day had this weird experience where she bumped her head, literally like was playing with her kid at some playground. And stood up too quickly and cracked the back of her head, and it hurt like hell. And felt she felt a little weird or whatever, and then went home. Started feeling a little weirder. Her legs started to feel weird. She oh, lost good. feeling in her legs, and then was in hospital for like a week and a half without her brain had ceased to be able to communicate with her legs. Boo. She was like temporarily paralyzed. Like she and she was a marathon runner, so she's running again now. And she's like, "That's it. I'm running for the rest of my." It's like Forrest Gump. She hasn't stopped running since. It's been two months. No, I'm kidding. Jesus. <laughs> so. Yes, sorry. So Quentin came into your life. Yes, he did. And then by the by, you know, it seemed to have worked out. You've worked together quite a few times. How yeah. would you describe the relationship? Um, I would describe. I mean, the reality is he's sort of one of my oldest friends. Like he's one of the first people I formed a friendship with since moving away from home. Um, and there's really strong loyalty there. And if I can work on any of his shows in any capacity. I think he would put me in there and I would do anything to make it be so I could be there. Um, and when we do get time together, it's we're like mates, like normal mates, like normal people be mates, you know? Which, by the way, with really, really famous people is harder than it sounds. <laughs> they have a strange... Friendship becomes a strange um, beast when you're dealing with sort of famous, very powerful people because they, I don't know, I, th- I think it's something to do with being, having so many people that are willing to act as friends and are willing to say yes to everything that it becomes a really strange, I don't know, like, I, you know, if people say yes to you all the time, even if, so, if someone says no to you, even if they're totally right, it feels insulting if you're expecting yes all the time, you know, but so I, hanging out with him is just it's hard to get it to happen most of the time because, I mean, my schedule's a bit manic as well, but trying to link it. It's this kind of thing. I won't hear from him 
or we won't see each other for like four, five, maybe even six months. And then I'll get an email, Zoe, I'm going to this award ceremony. You want to come as my date? I'm like, sure. And we'll spend like, and then we'll see each other a couple of times for the next two weeks and it'll be like exactly like it was six months earlier. And then it'll go into this black hole of Hollywood non-ness right. again. Um, like the other day, you know, with my movie that's come out, I'm like, it's not, I mean, I wouldn't say it's Tarantino-esque, but it's definitely sort of fits in the same world of movie making. And uh, I've been, I used to send him something for the uh, trailer and I wanted him to see that and then he was out of town and blah, blah, blah. blah. And then when I finally got hold of him, I think I wrote him an email being like, look, you just have to let me know if A, you're pissed off at me, in which case you need to tell me about it so we can talk about it and get over it and drink a beer. Or if you've watched my movie and hated it and you're embarrassed to say anything, in which case you should just call me and talk about it with me and so we can get over it and have a beer. Or you've lost it and you're embarrassed. Or, like, maybe you're just sad and, you know, like, <laughs> but fill a bitch in because I'm confused, you know. And he wrote back going, I'm sorry, I've been really busy and things have been a bit hard, but I'm good now and let's hang out tomorrow. I was like, okay, cool. So I went over there and same thing. It was just, like, completely normal. And he was like, did you bring your movie? And I was like, no, I thought we were just hanging out. So then we organised to meet the next week to watch the movie in his theatre and drink beers and hang out. My parents were in town and they were going to get to see it. My mum was going to have to drink a lot of beers to watch this movie. Um, and, and then it ended up that he got called out of town and that didn't work and then mum and dad went home and, you know, and, so, and it's now it's coming out. It's come out and he still hasn't seen it. Yeah, right. And now he's in Sundance and it's like, well, how did that happen? We just, there was a window and we so just missed it. So when you're... So just to flashback for a second, when you're in producer mode, mm. and did you find yourself doing and saying things that you'd seen him do and perhaps seen Lawrence Bander do? Like, oh, this is why they made that call, or oh, now I get why they did that. Um, yes. I don't know so much specific to, say, Lawrence Bender. Um, I feel like I, I watched Bennett Walsh make more crazy decisions than I right. watched. Um, that was a long time ago, but more like, it made sense to me more in the sense of, whoa, could I put sense in that sentence one more time? Um, one of those moments where you go, I understand that this department needs this and we can't afford it. And I know they're going, but it's only five bucks. How come you're throwing away five grand on this thing and five bucks here? And you go, because we kind of need to save that five bucks and as many other five bucks as we can so that we can afford that five grand. That's kind of... Got it. There were definitely moments of that. Got it. Yeah. And definitely moments of, you know, our director being like, I want to do this. And me being like, tough titties, buddy, because we don't have the time nor the money, you know. <laughs> I'm quashing you creatively because we have to, and that's really sad, but true, you know. Don't worry. I'll make it up. I'll, 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 give, extra, I'll give extra punch when I, when I push someone across the screen. Totally, yeah. I'll, def- I'll make this one bleed for real if it makes you feel better. <laughs> 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 I'm a big believer in um, I'm a big believer in ten thousand hours to mastery. The first yep. five thousand I spent were just being shit, yep. uh, but I got to do it again and again. And the next five thousand were just kind of sharpening that blade to a point where um, the now thing, you're a master. Well, the thing that I do <laughs> and that I do well, I'm able to do almost automatically. Yep. And then on top of that, you can layer yep. the addition on top of it. Um, so let's talk for a second about, would you say that working on 60, 70 episodes of Xena, would that have been totally. your 10,000? Totally. Without a doubt. Like the, the foundational skill set that I walked away from with that show put me in Steve for everything I did afterwards. I mean, Kill Bill was only 
something that I was capable. I mean, I walked onto that show being like, why aren't you having me do more? And not like, um, excuse me, I'm so good, you should be giving me, literally like, it's my job to do everything that this character does and it's my job to, why aren't you, like I thought that they just didn't know. You mm. know, like, um, I can do these things, you should. But it required them to see me doing this stuff before they felt like they could rely on me, obviously. But had I not done Xena, I would have been terrified to tell someone I thought I might be able to do something, you know, because I, I didn't. It's just I don't know. After Xena, I, I, I just knew the stuff I knew. Yeah. So there was no there was no being well, confident about it or you being know, insecure. You know that you know that you know it. Yeah. And it's you, sort of like I know I can breathe. Yeah. I know it. But you, you, you know. can only get to that point by just doing it and doing yeah, it and doing and it and screwing it up a lot. Yeah. I mean, I screwed up <laughs> a lot on Xena a bunch of times. I always would watch that, you know, that period of uh, film and television production starting up in New Zealand and just go, oh, why, why don't we have that? Like, just saw how much stuff wasn't coming to Australia and they built mm. all these mad studios. But, you know, not much was getting made because... In Australia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just seeing that... And then you, you come here to Los Angeles and there's just New Zealanders everywhere because people have just got that, just gajillion hours of experience working on humongous oh, productions. Oh, totally. I mean, New Zealand stunt guys are everywhere now. Like, there was a group of us that they all started before me and I was great, thankful enough that they were, or lucky enough that they were already in place when I came up. They're the ones that I screwed up in front of and they were the ones who taught me how to not screw it up the second or third or fourth time. Um, and now we've got, Marcos Routhwaite just got done doing, well, got done doing Iron Man 3. Stuart Thorpe did um, Zero Dark Thirty. Ben Cook has been, do has been doubling all the Bond movies and he, I think he may be about to do Star Wars. I mean, like, all of these guys that are like, we're all over the world, you know, and it's like people are like, why? And we all didn't even know if we could even compete internationally when we were in New Zealand. We didn't have any point of reference, you know, and suddenly, but I think it is because of the, so many hours of back to back but always being made to feel so lucky for it because there was nothing else in New Zealand before that really you know as a career and also just the mentality of Kiwis that is just you just are hard working by nature you know it's like I don't think spoiled comes naturally to Kiwis I feel like you have to train it into them which and I've seen a couple that have successfully learnt it <laughs> <laughs> so with okay, just a real quick Rosina question, and I only have to ask because I'm a mad fan. Did you ever work with Bruce Campbell? Yes, <laughs> I I got kicked off set. One of the only times I've ever been kicked off set twice, both of them for laughing too loud and getting the giggles where I can't help myself. One was watching Bruce Campbell work, and I could not keep a straight face. I was meant to be in the shot as Zena, like in the background, body doubling type stuff. And I just could not, I could not keep my shit together. Just, and, you know, he'd do like one of those where he does the pause right before he speaks. And even in the pause, I was like, it's going to be so funny when he finally speaks. And that was, I got kicked off set when they brought in the other body double. And the other time was on Kill Bill. And I was reading a book and I just couldn't not laugh at my book. And there was some reference to a camel or something. And even when I closed my book, I had the image in my head and I was laughing too loud and I got kicked off set again. I kind of feel like those are probably, that's probably not such a bad reason for being kicked off set, but yes, Bruce Campbell was, he was one of my favourite people to watch working. 
He's just, I, I loved his book, If Chains Could Kill. Oh. Loved it. Confessions of a B-movie actor, if you've never seen it. Bruce Campbell is Ash in the Evil Dead films. And he directed, I think, a gajillion senior episodes. A bunch, yeah. Yeah. And what was the show he did? Was it Briscoe County Junior? Was that him? I don't know. I know he does Burn Notice. No, no. A while ago, though. I feel like Briscoe County, am I even making that up? I, don't I feel know, like I that was quite a long time ago because I, I remember my first ever American boyfriend was his fan from this TV show that I didn't know about. And I was like, oh. what? Yeah. No, right. he's amazing. Oh, super duper. So yeah. we talked about this just a little before we started rolling, but um, so I'm, one of the reasons I'm really happy you're here today is because you and I would have a very different relationship to fear, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. because I struggle with anxiety, which is a fear of a fear that hasn't existed yet. Yeah. So I'd be interested to know, what's your, what's your relationship with fear? Kind of, I've been trying to figure that one out, actually, um, because I feel like... The, I think in terms of what you're probably asking is me as a stunt woman when I'm faced with, I don't, like, jumping off a building or standing in front of a moving car or something. I come to the conclusion that when I'm about to complete this task, I've gone through a process. It's sort of a subconscious process, but the process basically is deciphering whether this is a rational fear, a rational fear, or irrational so, like, I did this high fall on Catwoman with a, I was on a wire, but it was like. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 22 stories and I had to unravel. I had to unravel and... It's just, it's a long way up and it's somehow even more of a long way down, you know? And I sat up there and I went through the process of getting comfortable with the height and my surroundings and stuff. And then I. What does that look like? What does that process look like? They literally put a safety wire on me and I walked out to the edge of the platform that I was going to jump off and I just sat out there for probably for like an hour. Um, you know, and there are guys that deal with those kind of heights all the time. This was the highest I'd. I think I'd probably ever been, aside from being inside a building or a plane or something. Um, So I sat there, and at some point I made the decision that this was something I was physically capable of doing and mentally capable of completing as a task. And once I'd realised that, then it meant that the fear that I had was an irrational fear. Not, I mean, not irrational, irrational like you're crazy to be scared of being 22 stories up, but... It wasn't um, until I, when I didn't know if I could do it or not, it's totally sane to be afraid of 22 stories. Once I've discovered I know I can do it or decided I know I can do it, there's a commitment to completing the task. At that point, 
I can't be afraid anymore. There's something switches off because if I'm about to step off that platform and I'm wondering if I'm going to die, I should abort mission before I step off. I just should because if I don't know I can do it, then I'm thinking about dying. It's a whole different, <laughs> it's quite distracting, you know. I'd imagine. Thinking about dying and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think that's sort of the process that goes through with it. But, you know, I mean, I get anxiety about stuff. It's just sort of the thought of gathering, and I know most people go through this, but the thought of gathering my taxes after a year of letting them slide, every single year it's the same thing. The thought of doing it literally paralyzes me. Oh, you got to get a business manager, Zoe Bell. I know. I'll give you my, my guy. He's Can the I? Best. Really? He's, I'm not, he's not even shitting you. He's here. In LA. Yeah, I need one of those. He's the greatest. We can talk about this for sure. I he's, will be taking that I number. I sleep perfectly at night. Yeah. Like, about cash. Everything else I'm terrified, but cash is fine. <laughs> and see, I don't, money is not the thing. Money doesn't terrify me. I've never been terrified of making too much or not making enough of, I don't know why, taxes. And now I, like, I hate making people wait. Like if we've agreed to meet someone at eight and we look like we might be five or ten minutes late, I'll get stroppy with my boyfriend if he's the one doing his hair too long or, you know, or someone's wait. You know, like, it stresses me out. I think I get that from my mum too. Look at that. I love the way any issue we have, we can just pin it on our parents. <laughs> All the parents' fault. Uh, but so what you're saying is that, which I, I find really interesting, is like once you kind of process the fear of, okay, so here is the rational... Do you need Sorry. to get that? No. no do you think? It's totally fine. Do you I think? I'm going to ignore that. Um, once you've... Once you process the rational fear of like, here I am, I'm 22 stories up, um, there's an airbag, I've got this wire, I'm doing an unravel, I practice it on the ground, I know what I'm doing, yeah, I'll be cool. Mm. Everything else is irrational. And then you just put that to one side. Yeah, it, yes. And I mean, I still feel fear. Like, don't get, like when we're about to go and we're rolling cameras and, you know, you can feel it too because the whole crew starts getting like, you know, starts zinging and... People are, people are freaked out. about. It's scarier for me to watch someone doing something like that because I have no control. If you're jumping off the building, I can't make sure you're doing it right. I can't catch you or help you or, you know. Once I've decided my brain and my body are capable of working together to get it done, now it's a sort of, um, it's more like a performance anxiety. It's making sure I execute it correctly and I get it right for camera and I don't make us have to go again and... So then it becomes more like a, um, that's more of the adrenaline rush actually, is less the like, oh my God, I might die, oh my God, I survived, and more like, sort of, it reminds me of when I was a gymnast and I would compete, and nothing about the actual routine would be terrifying to me by the time I was competing, but before you get up there, you're terrified anyway, and not, it's not of hurting yourself, it's sort of a... Um, I don't know, like a physical exam or something, you know. So that, and that's somehow more um, that sort of feeds into me. Then that's become sort of adrenaline. It, it sort of focuses me. That's useful fear. Yeah, I can use that. The irrational fear just is not very useful, and it often ends up an in injury. I feel like. So, I'm guessing early on in your stunt career, you got taught the difference of I'm afraid. Uh, for like, I'm sure, like you just get a feeling like, no, it's not right. Let's not go. Totally, absolutely. And I think, I think that comes with experience. I think going, oh, I'll give it a go, and then it fucks up, and you're like, God, I knew that was going to fuck up. You go, oh, wait, I knew that. That means something. So you learn. So I, I don't sit there and go, wait, is it rational or is it irrational? I think it's a subconscious sort of 
instinctive process that I go through now. I have only put it to words recently because I've been asked that before and not been able to put it into words. Um, but yeah, you know, and also when I was younger, when I first started, I had no idea. You know, I'd be like, I can make that happen. And there was just some stuff that I just couldn't. And, you know, and then you fracture your spine and go, oh, maybe... <laughs> Maybe I am a little invincible. Maybe I'm human and made of the same stuff everybody else is. <laughs> is there a is there a stunt person's way of, of of looking at life? Like, do you all get around and just kind of chat and just kind of go? Only we can see the world this way. <laughs> I feel like probably there is there's a kind of there is a. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I should stop eating this lemon poppy seed. But I it's so tasty. I can't stop eating it. No poppy seeds. It's vegan and yummy, full of protein. Vegan. So crazy that it tastes this good. Um, it's made of vegans, that's why. Just crunched up vegans with yeah. some lemon I, and poppy I, seed. I just popped them in the Vitamix and... <laughs> Blended vegan. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I know. Good movie, though. Um, <laughs> Raised too. <laughs> <laughs> Blended. Um, so do you all sit around together? Like, do, is there a way that you look at the world and, like, I don't know if there's a way that we look at the world, but there's definitely like I've met stump people around the world, and there's some there's some common mentality that is sort of um, a little bit jock, a little bit sort of you know I think there's you've got to be. It's not often you find a shy stunt person. It's not often you find a um, less than rebunctious one. I think, and I think that's part of standing on a building and being like well, I'm going to throw myself off this thing instead of being like um, oh, I don't know, oh, you know. So, but I don't know about. The way we see the world, if it's true, I feel like maybe I'm not quite like the rest of them because there are times when I'm around too many stunt people and I get a bit like, oh, my God, you people are exhausting, and, which is ironic because I think I exhaust people all the time, you know. Um, but it's the same with sporting people. You know, you get if you get too many of them in the room, I guess it's the same with comedians or actors. If you get too many of anybody in a room, that overriding whatever it is gets a bit like... I don't know if I can take that. You know, same as too many men in a room, the testosterone. I don't know. Are you like, um, are you like warriors who just, you know, who come back from a tour of duty and then just sit around, play Xbox for all and go, yeah, this is boring. I'm going back to Iraq. Like, is that, is that the kind of thing? Like, do you just go normal life just doesn't satisfy anymore? So you just keep well, going? Well, I think that's the thing that is fairly common amongst a lot of stunt people. Um, and maybe that's where I'm different is it's not that they're exhausting. It's just that maybe I'm lazy and I'm less like, I'll, I, I'll spend hours at home watching movies or watching TV or reading books or just do it and doing nothing. Like I quite, I'm quite good at doing nothing. Um, but I think there is a lot of sort of physically ADD types in the stunt community for sure. And, but if that's what they need to do to keep their, like, oh, I'm most calm when I'm hanging off a helicopter. Yeah. I mean, I get that. I feel, I feel pretty much at ease when I'm on set. I feel kind of at where I'm meant to be when I'm on set. But you're but in the flow state, and who doesn't feel great in a flow state? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if that's hanging off a helicopter, I must admit, I do... When it's work, it's a bit different for me. It's not a matter of being exhausting or me being lazy or not. It's sort of... I, I enjoy the performance, and I enjoy the the executing of things, and I enjoy problem-solving. And I, I like being good at stuff, too. I must admit, I just like being good at it. Everybody likes that. Yeah. Everyone likes being good at something. Yeah. That's why I like doing nothing, because I'm really good at it. But you <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about let's talk about death proof. I think as an adult, 
I body surf, all right, and yeah. um, I, I and sometimes you get. I, I surfed as well. I'm not a very good surfer, but I like I like. Oh um, shit! That's better than Stunts, teapot stunts with Zoe teapot Bell. Teapot stunts. Um, and sometimes you get held under by waves. Yeah. And I just don't. I don't draw breath for a while. Watching you on the front of the Dodge Challenger in Death Proof, I think <laughs> that was the longest as an adult that I've gone without breathing in. <laughs> Yeah. I was sitting on a golf ball. I was so sitting terrified. On a golf ball? I've never heard that. Did you just make that one up? No, it's to, it's to describe <laughs> when a little bit of poo comes out. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. I was like, it's either a poo reference or some it's sexual, a poo reference. Or a sexual reference. Because I'm classy. I'm classy like that, Zoe. You were touching cloth, is that yeah, what you mean? Exactly. <laughs> I was touching cloth. I'm watching that. It was just so intense because, as you mentioned before, the way it was shot, there was no trailer. There was no yeah. safety. It was like it was you on the bonnet of this car banging it through these country roads yeah. with a, a um, stuntman Mike. With a crazy person. Trying to get you. Yeah. Like when you saw that, like how, how did it look on paper when you, when you saw it? The first time I knew about that chase sequence was when Quentin was telling me about the fact that he wanted me to be in this movie at all which was also the first time I'd read the script. So it was sort of like, he said, I finished my script, I'm coming over. And I was like, all right. And he came over and he showed me the, the cover. It said, um, it was he was going to have Mickey Rourke be Stuntman Mike originally. So the first script cover said, Mickey Rourke and Zoe Bell. And I was like, Haha, that's so funny. That you, I thought he did it as a practical joke for my mum and dad. And he was like, turn to page 88. I was like, okay. Thinking he was going to show me some cool st- stunt sequence or something. And I turned to page 88 and there's this description of stunt woman from New Zealand, cute as a bug's ear is how he described me in the script. Zoe Bell exits the plane and I was like, this is when I stopped breathing for a second. And speaking, I was a bit like, uh, uh, and he was like, keep reading. And I read for about four pages before I was like, you need to, I think you need to explain yourself because my heart is actually having palpitations right now and I'm not sure how to process this information that you've put in front of me, so I would I need some help with that. And he was like, oh, I want you to play this role. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought that's what it was and I don't know what that means. And I had a minor freak out. And he sort of was talking me through it. And the funny thing is I think he was a little bit prepared for me to not say no, but for me to not just say yes straight away like most actors should and would um, because I wasn't an actor at that point. And I was completely overwhelmed and terrified. And he was like, look, how about we go out for some beers and I'll tell you about the action sequence that I've got planned. I was like, okay, cool, yes, please. All I could think about was the beer at that point. I was like, I just, I am stressed out. So we went out for beers and then he told me about the chase sequence. That was basically his kicker. He knew that that's how he was going to get me to get on, come on the movie. And he sat there. And Quentin could describe sharing a sheep and it would make you want to do it. You know what I mean? You'd be like, oh, my God, that sounds so cool, amazing. You'd see it in his imagination. He's all excited and it's, like, contagious. And so when he described this chase sequence with me climbing out of a car, I was like, what? That's the coolest idea ever. Like, I've considered doing that before, ironically, and that would be amazing. So that was the first time I'd So when I read it in the script, when I finally got around to reading the script, I mean, I already had the images in my head from him describing it. We didn't know quite how we were going to do it at that point. Um, but that was sort of also the thing that I would cling to when I got freaked out about all this dialogue and talking that I was going to have to do and facing camera and stuff. That pesky talking. All that pesky dialogue stuff. I'd kind of go, that's okay. 
this chase sequence is going to be really cool and exciting. Okay. I would like to think about, you know, surfing a car to calm me down. The irony. I get it. Well, it works. Yeah. Because I, I, Such a cool sequence. Oh. I remember being, the first time after work we went and watched Rushes and there's all the rest of the cast sitting around in the heads of department and, you know, normally as a stunt double you would never end up in that room. So I end up in that room and we're watching this footage of these cars and this girl on the hood and all this stuff happening and I was, I literally remember having the distinct sensation of if I was watching this movie and it wasn't me getting to do it, I know for a fact I'd be looking at going, oh man, I wish I got to do that. I wish I could have been her stunt double and I would, you know, like I knew for a fact that this sequence alone would have made me jealous. And then I had this, the second sensation was, oh, it is me on that car, you know? Like, it was definitely, there was never a moment I, I, I took that for granted, ever. I still, I watch that scene and I flinch. I know how it ends. I know I'm fine, but I still watch it like, oh my God, the foot, the foot. Oh, she's going to go, watch out for the, like, that's me watching myself in that movie. It's a bit lame. Oh yeah, I, I was like that when I watched it again, getting ready for this. I again, I couldn't breathe. Yeah, I just couldn't. I was like looking through my fingers. <laughs> I, I just so it was so so intense. I, I do want to talk a bit about, um, particularly with the movie Rays, mm. because I used to be a roadie back in the old days, mm. and watching two chicks fight in the car park of the Broad Beach Tavern is not as hot as when you see two chicks fight in a movie. No. <laughs> not so hot at all. Like what it's is kinda it? kind of gross. What is it about watching chicks fight on screen? What is it? Well, most of the time it's fake. That's part of it. Yeah. Um, and it's choreographed. So it's n- And usually they're not drunk, which helps. I feel like really drunk people fighting is always a bit gross to watch. But um, I don't know. That, you know, it's also society's idea of women having to look pretty on screen at all times. So, you know, if they get blood on their face, it, it goes somewhere that's going to bring out the colour of their eyes or it's going to, you know, bring some colour to their cheeks or it's going to be placed in a a good-looking spot, you know. Um, we kind of went against all of that in Rays. Um, we had very little makeup on set. Uh, I think some of the girls had, we had some mascara on set and that was pretty much it. The hair person didn't even have a hair dryer, or I don't think she even had a hairbrush, to be honest with you. But um, and the blood went. If you got a left hook and hit you in the right eye, then the blood was in your right eye. And if it was ugly, tough titties, that's where it should be. That's where it goes. You know, um, it was definitely a little experimental in that sense that we wanted to we wanted to make it as realistic as we possibly could and see wh- how what kind of effect that had. And it's actually turned out to be quite confronting to a lot of people. It's We've had such weird react Not weird, we've had strong reactions to this movie. Um, someone called it... Someone referred to the makers of this film must be clearly misogynistic males. I was like, really? Because um, pretty sure I've got boobs. Pretty sure I'm female. Pretty sure I'm definitely not misogynistic. But that's interesting that you take that view, you know. And then we've had women that are just like, these roles are amazing, this is so empowering, thank you for making roles like this and telling the story. And they can, you know, women can relate to these women because they're very... Our whole intention was to have it be that if these women were real women and they were really stuck in this situation, what would that mean? What would it take to have them fight and how would that translate in the way that they're emoting about it, you know? Because women fighting on screen has changed... 
that's changed a lot. It used to be, you know, a slap here or like kind of a Russ Meyer. Just, it was just all boobs for a while there. Yeah, love it. Just a bunch of boob fights. Well, those Russ Meyer movies, that was, you know, chicks fighting, but it was just like... Just a lot all of about the boobs. Jumpsuits and boobs. Yeah. And then... Uh, there's probably a lot more, but for me, I can only speak from my example. For me, then there was um, Sigourney Weaver and Alien <sighs> and that final final act of Alien when she's up against him. My favourite. Just, my just favorite. and she's sexual but not sexual. She's just in the singlet and the she's knickers. She's sexy but not sexual. Yeah. Not sexualized. Yeah, she's, you know? not, she's not sexual. She's like, I'm getting ready for cryo sleep. I'm not, you know, having a hot shower and I'm not steamy. I'm just yeah, like, yeah. it's me and the cat. And yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah. to bed. And, oh, fuck, 11 foot of death is coming at me. <laughs> 11 foot of death. And then yeah. she's, like, singing Lucky Days. She's getting into the space suit. Oh, I know. Just, and then in it's Aliens, epic. her reprising that role. Um, because then there was that kind of early 80s, you know, Schwarzenegger commando vibe. And there was, like... I know. You know what kind of a scene... And I'm so not a cinephile. So, uh, like, people can shoot me down with facts and I'll... Well, your experience down, is informed by what you know and that's fine. Yeah. That we don't know the entire sum total of human knowledge to base our opinions on is... I don't even know close. Yeah, right. Yeah. So tell me, where do you come from? But what I, I feel like female action has sort of done these waves. It's, like, come and there's been, like, some kind of platform that makes you go, yes, here it comes. And Linda Hamilton is badass and Sigourney Weaver's amazing and then it sort of falls off and it's not it doesn't really get followed up with but I mean you can't there's no there's no denying the effect that Sigourney I mean she carried those movies as the badass hero period and it wasn't like because she'd been created to or because someone was trying to make a vehicle for her like Aliens wouldn't have been aliens without Sigourney Weaver in it. You know what I mean? Without her playing that role. I don't know. And then it's sort of like you get... And she wasn't necessarily masculine either. She was very maternal. For yeah. You. It wasn't like, Which here's I, a woman being a man. No, exactly. Because she was driven by that maternal yeah. thing. And then even this, with the alien, the alien mother and her having yeah. there's a moment and there's a, you know, yeah. like, fucking genius. Um, that loader fight. Oh. I mean... The battle loader. I just, I want to get married and I want to have babies just so I can do the Halloween costume where you put the baby Bjorn in the front. Oh, my God. Have you seen that one? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do the loader. You know what? I don't think that's a bad reason at all to want to get married and have babies. <laughs> I've yet to meet someone. Don't worry. You're like, it's still a while first back. date, you're like, so you want to get married and have my babies? Because I've got this yeah, whole right. idea speaking about this of baby which, I, Speaking of which, I know you know Rosario Dawson. And, and so if you just put in a good word for me, that'd be a... She just told me she may have started dating someone. So you might be well, shit out street you know you can tell I'll her know if she gets miserable or yeah, dumped I'm, or anything we've actually been at a house party she was at my my old house where i used to live up the street i was mm. in my kitchen i was making someone something it was a mad house party i lived in a big house with lots of people and i'm in my kitchen and i'm making coffee for someone and then i look to my left and she's there she's like a foot away from me with that smile i was just like hi that was the other time i as ran as out of breath exactly and she had bangs at the time and i was like oh, my heart just stopped. You were in my house. <laughs> and it was she all over. bangs. Maybe that was around deep proof time. How long ago was that? Yeah, no, it was a year and a half. Oh, no. Mm-mm. May May last year. No, May Mm-mm. the year before. No. Different, anyway. Different bangs. Um, so, yeah, so Linda Hamilton doing chin-ups oh, in Terminator yeah. 2, hot, and then not much for a long time. Yeah, I don't know. It was sort of like the even, you know, and then you like the – Charlie's Angels sort of came in and that was female driven and it was cool and 
And yes, it was a very specific type of kind of cute, funny, not particularly gritty in any way, shape or form. But again, it's like that platform where there was sort of room to build on it. And somehow I feel like there's, there's, there keeps being these uprisings of moments of kind of solid female action that's cool and it proves itself. And then followed by movies that then people start going, oh, it's not safe to bank on female action because, look, this last three movies didn't, you know, like either Charlie's Angels and then someone puts out like Eon Flux and Ultraviolet and you're like, come on, like no wonder that you get two movies that tank that have female leads and they go, oh, female leads, dangerous, we won't do that again, you know, and then it all kind of subsides again and then it requires some balls to get another one out there. I don't know, I feel like we're in a bit of a place at the moment where the fact that there's women like Gina Carano and Ronda Rousey that are coming out from, like, MMA and are real fighters and being thrown into the spotlight, that there's a bit more of a desire to see females that have got the reality base behind it because it becomes... I don't know, I think audiences are just savvy these days, even if they don't notice that they're savvy. So, I don't know, maybe there's just a little bit more... I hope there's a little bit more room for them to for them being them being you know them at large the makers of movies to sort of really run with making quality movies with females in some powerful roles and it doesn't mean they have to be kicking ass all the time but just like strong realistic characters that men and women can relate to and yeah. look up to you know um, there's, there's women on the front lines in the military yeah anyway come on it's like it's a reflection movies. of Get up to date. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, if you run into my other future ex-wife, Michelle Rodriguez, can you tell her hi? Yes. Future ex-wife? I hope I play it better than that. Yeah. I understand. I will. Absolutely. I met her in Cannes. She's rad. Totally rad. Loved her in Machete. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Loved her. Someone asked me if I made my own Expendables or female Expendables um, cast, who it would be, and I had Gina Carano, Ronda Rousey, um... Oh, my God. Who did we just talk about? Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez. I was about to call her Melanie. Sorry, Michelle. Michelle Rodriguez, um, Linda Hamilton, and Sigourney Weaver, and myself. Totally. As team leader. That would be awesome. <laughs> do you um, – Do you? now, obviously, working on, on Rays, you would have worked with a lot of, a lot of uh, stunt women. Mostly – no, less than we originally wanted, actually. We were talking – Actors that you trained up? Yeah. Um, thankfully for us, they were all super committed and dedicated and were willing to put in the time to do it because we didn't have, you know, when you're on a budget like that, the time frame is, t- everything's tight. We have like 17 fight sequences in this movie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, um, but we, we had the help of a couple of really solid stunt women who played some of the smaller roles or who would come in and coach and help and stuff. So it was, it, it was in, intense. It was sort of for all, for all the training that I did to get to be able to cry and, you know, like be vulnerable and stuff. The other girls were doing all the training to get some ass kicking skills under their sleeves. But it must have felt good to then, like, to have that many women on set. So amazing, so good. And these women were—they're all our cast is like I—I I just sit there feeling grateful and fortunate, and so like not shocked even, but just like, wow, you know that we really pulled that one out of the bag, and we got really lucky or. We have great people that wanted to do... Like Tracy Toms, who's in Death Proof. She's, she plays um, Kim. I rang her when, I was, when we'd got this fi- feature script finally written, and I was like, Tracy, I'm producing this film. 
and there's this role in it that I just and she was like, "Yep." Yeah. I was like, "Well, you let me tell you about the film." She's like, "No, no, I, I mean, you can, but I'm, I'm saying yes." And I was like, "Cause it's, it's the pretty featured role, like it's." She was like, "Yeah, I want to do it," and I was like, "It's you should read the script." She's like, "I don't care to." I was like, "Seriously, it's, it's kind of fucked up. You should definitely read it." She was like, "All right, send it to me," but I'm in, and she was in from then. She just, you know, so we had the support of some phenomenal people. And these women just worked so hard and were so... And I mean on set, like, there were some moments where we were all just zombified from, you know, exerting energy and emotional energy is just a really tiring combination. And But the satisfaction and the job satisfaction that I could see them getting out of it just fed me too, you know, and watching them fight and be like, oh, my God, this feels good and I'm good at it. And, I'm, you know, it was just... Talk about female empowerment at its coolest, you know. It was not. It's not even like girl power at all, you know. It's like woman power. It was rad. <laughs> anyway, no, it's right. I'm just so jazzed. <laughs> I'm just so jazzed to listen to your talk because I mean, clearly the movie got made because you were in it, and clearly because when someone got the call about we need you to do something for this film, it was you on the other end of the phone with that tone of voice talking with that passion. Yeah, of course people said yes. So. Yeah. Or there was even, oh, maybe I shouldn't talk, I feel like I'm weirdly talking about myself. It's sort of, this is the weird thing about being the producer and the lead of a film. As a producer, I can talk about my lead comfortably, but when I realise that I'm then talking about myself, it makes me get really into as an, weird as an Australian on a one-man quest to just, just to like completely fuck the tall poppy system right off. You have to. You go to. right ahead and talk, talk okay. about it because you should be proud because making a movie is bloody hard. It's really hard. And you did it. So yeah. tell me. Well, it was like... The, there would be a bunch of people that Josh was bringing on, or other people would so bring director. on the cast. Yeah, jo- Josh is one of the directors, is the director and one of the producers. Um, and I remember there being a couple of the girls that would literally have said to Cam, you know, for behind the scenes stuff, have been like, once I found out that Zoe was involved, I couldn't imagine saying no to it because it because it's a fight film, you know. So it's that kind of like for all the oh, my God, these guys are amazing that I did watching these women act. They were inspired to be committed to this. I think what happened is me being on it sort of gave it the legitimacy as (laughs) the legitimacy, ding, Yes. um, For it to be an action film. And these girls, because we cast legitimate actors, brought the legitimacy as, as a drama. And so it's sort of... It's one of the rare things about this film is that it's a chick flight fight film but the thing that's the most harrowing is is the stories that these women portray it's so emotionally devastating it's i mean it i'm sitting here I get, it's so ridiculous i get all excited and grin and i start giggling at the thought of it because i love this little movie but the reality is this movie is is really hard you know it's an intense I kind of wish we'd had you watch it before I came on here. No, it's fine. Then you'd I, I, be scared no, it's of great me. No, though. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just, I can't wait to watch it now. Yeah. No, I wish the trailer, I, fig- I figured it out. You should come this weekend that's just gone already because it's Monday today. What night? Friday and Saturday. There's two screenings on Friday and two on Saturday. I could maybe make the Friday one if it's late. There's a 7.45 and there's a 10.15. I could do the 10.15. Come to the 10.15. That'd be rad fun. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so much fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've been talking for quite a while, and I'm really grateful that you're here. Um, I feel like I've been bumbling today. Piffle, you've been fantastic. Oh, piffle. You've just, I feel like I should be writing down some of these two. You can have any of them. Yeah. Uh, 
so we both came from like see the ocean just over there. Yeah, so if you, you go, if you go if you go that way, kind of about fifteen thousand. You swim for a bunch of days. You yeah. you run into where you and I come from. Yeah. And we were talking about this a little briefly before. It is kind of hard to be away. Yes. Um. What do you What do you What's the hardest part about being away from New Zealand for you? My mum, my dad, my brother, and then. Or somewhere on par with that even is when some when something bad happens. Like it sucks to miss a wedding or to not be maybe not be able to go or my mum had breast cancer a couple of years ago and finding out that that was when I felt so far away. Like And I got home and I was home within a couple of days, but it was sort of a that, that's the disconnect or when your friends have kids and you're there when they're a couple of weeks old and then you don't see them again until they're nearly a year old or, or you don't meet them until they're already talking or, you know, those sorts of things are the, those are the things that I miss about home. Like what I miss about New Zealand is sort of somehow connected, but it's slightly different. You know, the culture and clean the, water, the food. weather and the, yes, exactly. Food. Ah, the New Zealand food. We, you know, Jelena's on the corner here. We took some Kiwi friends there and they're like, this is amazing and blah, blah, blah. It's really tasty. And they looked at me at one point and they were like, because we've just been, they'd been traveling around America for a couple of weeks. And what they re- what we'd realized is they thought this food was so good because it's like home. Yeah. Like at home, it's not that rare to come across amazing food like that, just where the ingredients is well, good. the size of the country as well is that you can afford to pick the fruit really late because you don't yeah. have to, it can be in the farm the day before and on the table the next day. So like here where it gets picked in Fresno. Yeah. Which is ah, five hours drive away. <laughs> what a shithole. Oh, totally. It's such gonna, a shithole. Don't ever go to Fresno if you can avoid it. <laughs> My, I got this, t- I saw a t-shirt, I was going op shopping at one point, point. I saw this little t-shirt and it literally said, um, and I say little because it was too small for me, that otherwise I would have totally bought it. <laughs> it said um, Fresno. And it had this picture of like the most depressing town ever, like an old school iron on. And then underneath it said, it really does suck shit. <laughs> I was like, that is such a good t-shirt. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, but anyway, you, sorry, you we get digress. To, if you drive past enough, far enough, you get to Yosemite, which is awesome. Yes. So, which is the good part. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I think that that's the thing. It's like you know, from in New Zealand, the produce is so much closer to the table yeah. than it is here, and it's so much more availability of organic and and same stuff. with the meats and everything and the dairy. You know, we've been talking about why coffee is better in New Zealand, and I think it's the milk. You know, Could like be. I reckon maybe it's to do with the milk. But also Americans just can't make a cup of coffee to save their lives. Yeah, but why? That shouldn't be the, that should, like you should be able to train them no or sense. teach them. It makes no sense. I stopped drinking coffee here. I, 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 I well, again, I go to GTA sometimes. There's a couple of places that are now at least that. Oh, yeah, but we, that's why, part of the reason why I moved to Venice, you can actually get good coffee here. Yeah. But I stopped drinking it because if you have anxiety, one thing that's yeah, coffee's a bad idea. Really not great a... is to throw more stimulants. Yeah, that's on a, top that's of a it. really shit idea. So now I just drink tea. That'd be like just doing a bunch of crack. You're like, yes, I've got anxiety. Well, this will help. I still have caffeine in my day, but my parabola is much more even because I'm on tea, and the tea is kind of a much more slow yeah. climb and a much more. It's slow not like climb. a wham. No. Yeah. I do miss the wham. Yeah, I bet but you I just do. can't be. I just can't be around it. No, it's not even the wham. Then it's the. Yeah, I can't. I can't get be the end of it. Yeah, I can't be around it. No, can't no, be around it anymore. bad idea. You um, have been nothing but a delight, Zoe. That's lucky. I thought I was rambling, but you said pish tosh. Or I said piffle. Piffle. You were nothing but eloquent, and just a, you know, I can, I can, I get why people want to have you on set. Yay! Because, because I can act, and ultimately, that's the. 
you know, that's the thing that a lot of folks might not realize is ultimately doing this kind of job, you're somewhere in Serbia and it's cold and you're all on a camp and there's you only... You know, it's hour 13, it's two o'clock in the morning. You don't want to work there with... There is us. no crack cocaine. You don't yeah. want to work with assholes. Nah. Although that's the thing that constantly baffles me about and probably other industries too if I had worked in any of them. <laughs> but like the amount of people who come on set and actually are complete assholes and then continue to work. You know, there's not heaps of them, but usually they're actors or directors or they're the creative type. Somehow you're allowed to get away with it a bit more. Like if you're a total prick as a grip, you probably just won't get hired again. Ever. No, but if you're the lead and you're like, no, I want only blue M&Ms and my blah, 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 people are like, oh, she's so high maintenance. Let's bring her back on that other move. Like, well, I don't get it. I, want, I wish people who were complete pricks would just not get hired. Then you wouldn't even have to be good at anything. You could just be nice to people. How great would that be? Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. Hmm. I'm, I wish you nothing but the very best. And if there's any way that I can be of you, at your service, don't ever hesitate. Zoe. Oh, I will try and come up with something. Whatever <laughs> you need. Oh, oh, before I go, before I go, yes. final, final, final question. <laughs> what is one kind of stunt thing that just general people listening, what's hmm. something that we could kind of work on mastering that could be handy in everyday life? Aside from jumping off buildings, you mean? Can't, uh, not really an everyday thing. Yeah, true. Yeah, you hope not, eh? That no, would be, generally, That would be yeah, depressing. Yeah. Um, I think um, some form of spatial awareness is massively helpful. So I don't know if that means, I don't know how you'd do it, going to a gymnast, an adult's gymnastics class or something. Uh-huh. Just because I'm very clumsy. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when I'm, I guess when I'm focused, I'm super focused. And so when I'm not, my body's like, sweet, holiday. And I become completely unfocused, walk into things and fall down things and trip over stuff. Um, and so I often fall. <laughs> and because I have spatial awareness, once my body goes into slight panic mode, I, I often will do something really crazy like fall, but I'll manage to ninja roll out of it, which I just always think is one of the, I'm always thankful that I have that sort of instinctive reflex like I'll knock over a table a glass on a table and then catch it and everyone's like good catch I'm like yeah but I wouldn't have had to catch it if I hadn't knocked it over in the first place but yeah so I don't know how do you teach reflexes I'm spoiled by my reflexes I think is why I'm clumsy that works though yeah I can I can dig that yeah me too thanks reflexes thanks body excellent have a fucking excellent day I will same to you (laughs) I'm gonna take your photo Oh, yeah. And that, friends and lovers, was Zoe Bell. Follow her on Twitter, at TheRealZoeBell. Find her there on Twitter. Tell her you heard her here. And um, just show us some love. Go and see her new movie, Raze, R-A-Z-E. It's on video on demand. It's also in theatres in the States. Um, I'm sure you can find it in Australia. Try and find it legally. She's... How cool is she? I mean, seriously, how cool is she? She's the greatest. She found her way into um, stunt work. Uh, through gymnastics and through competitive gymnastics and she also did martial arts when she was a kid so if, you know if that's your thing if you think that you want to do that when you grow up that's how she found her way in and then go work on Xena Warrior Princess for 66 episodes back to back learning how to do it from the best in the business because that's how she did it I love it I love it every episode no matter what we talk about it's the same formula it's the same thing find a way to do it and just do it again and again and again and again and then one day you turn around and there you are they're the best in the world at what they do. And that's precisely who she is. She's the best in the world at what she does. And I couldn't be more honored that she came on the show. At the real Zoe Bell. Find her on Twitter. Tell her you heard her here. Um, 
And I also put on the on the podcast page on the website, the osherginsbergpodcast.tumblr.com or osherginsberg.com, click on podcast. I put there um, the two stunts that we talked about. I, talked to, I put the fall that she did in Catwoman on there, which made me shit my pants. And uh, a cut I found of the chase scene um, from Death Proof, which is just fucking terrifying. Uh, so if you're not made of strong stuff, don't watch it. Because, But, you know, it's, it, as she said just then, you know, it ends well. She came to my house. She drank a cup of tea. She had a lemon poppy seed cookie. But for a while there, she was on the front of a Dodge Challenger doing 100 kilometers an hour down a country road with no safety harness. And it's completely frightening. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really, really grateful you're here. And um, I wish you a brilliant week. I hope that you sleep really, really well and you dream of absolutely beautiful things. Have a good one. I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.